Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another well-anticipated Ask the Expert. I'm so excited today to learn about mindfulness. We have Dr. Erin Engel, who's a licensed clinical psychologist and clinical director at Columbia Psychiatry. She's the co-chair of the Wellbeing Committee in Psychiatry and is committed to promoting well-being and related values to the greater academic medical community for faculty, staff, and trainees. As a clinician, Dr. Engel provides individual and group psychotherapy to young adults and adults, helping integrate mindfulness and a skills-based cognitive behavioral approach, which we love at PsychHub. She's trained in mindfulness-based stress reduction. Can't wait to learn about it. Dr. Engel completed her master's degree in psychology from Teachers College at Columbia University and her doctorate in clinical psychology within the Virginia Consortium Program. We're so grateful to have you here today, Dr. Engel, to talk about mindfulness, something that we all could learn a lot from. Thank you so much, Marjorie. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm happy to be with you today. Yay. So just let's just start out by talking about what is mindfulness. So mindfulness can be defined in many ways, but in its simplest form, it's a way of consciously relating to experience. Some would describe it as the act of paying attention on purpose being fully aware of what's happening in the present moment, and then accepting each moment as it unfolds with an open heart and without judgment. To be mindful is to be awake in the present, breathing each moment as best as we can, trying to let go of any thoughts or judgments, evaluations that tend to limit our experience of the present moment. So it's really about focusing attention and being present with what is, accepting whatever may come our way. So I'll give you a brief example as it relates to driving. Although this is benign, I think it can also have parallels with the way that we live our lives. So for example, we can drive along with mindful attention or we can drive mindlessly. To drive mindfully is to be connected visually, to look around, to see the road the road ahead of us, to you know, notice our hands on the steering wheel to feel the sensation of the car and to roll with life as it comes our way. So for example, when we're driving, we might hit traffic, you know, there might be potholes or bumps in the road that we have to navigate and work with. We can't change those things. And then of course, there's driving mindlessly in which we're inattentive or feel distracted or for any of us who've ever had the experience of driving somewhere and wondering, how did I get here? These are common experiences, although it's the way that we relate to them. And when we're mindless or inattentive, we sort of lose the joy of the present moment. We might even be thinking about the past or anticipating what's to come in the future. So we kind of miss the chance to look at the scenery on the road around us and to be more present and attentive to the moment and to be with what is. I love the car analogy. That was a really good way to think about it and just to kind of look at mindfulness in a different kind of a way because it is true. We can be mindless when we're driving. And I guess it's really the intention that can make so much of that difference. Do I have to be religious to practice mindfulness? No, one does not have to be religious to practice mindfulness. Mindfulness practices are useful for all people, regardless of their spiritual or religious beliefs or backgrounds. Mindfulness isn't owned by any particular group, religion, or philosophy. And in fact, we all have the capacity to be present. 
It's a human capability. And mindfulness doesn't require us to change what we believe or to become religious. The practice of mindfulness entails elements that are fundamental to our human experience. And these involve things like awareness and compassion. Now, that said, numerous spiritual traditions have practices that involve uh, meditative or contemplation, direct awareness of experience. And people have been practicing mindfulness for thousands of years, whether it's on its own or part of a larger tradition. Mindfulness practices have been heavily inspired by teachings from the Eastern world, and mindfulness has roots in various belief systems and contemplative practices, such as Hinduism, Buddhism, and Taoism, to name a few. But certainly, the applications of mindfulness are far-reaching. We've seen in healthcare, for example, and school-based settings, or veterans' uh, you know, centers, that mindfulness is applied often in mental health treatment programs, uh, and taught irrespective and independent of any religious or cultural traditions. Very, very, very interesting. Um, Cause I think sometimes you just do sometimes hear about it connected to religion. So I really appreciate that. I've heard a lot about mindfulness to improve mental health, but does it also improve physical health? And if so, what ways, like how does that all work? Mindfulness stands to significantly improve mental and physical health. And first, I'll start out by mentioning a little bit about physical health. So first of all, mindfulness helps us to combat stress. And we know that stress negatively impacts our physical health in many ways. And thankfully, mindfulness has been repeatedly proven to lower stress and stress-related diseases. When our stress levels decrease, our blood pressure is lowered, decreasing our risk to heart health. Stress also, also raises cortisol levels, which influences our nervous system and also stands to impact our physical health negatively. So mindfulness can help to improve our physical health by increasing awareness. And our physical health is largely related to how we're in tune with our bodies. So when our thoughts are consistently aligned with our health, so say in the case of having a healthy diet or making exercise choices, we learn to better make decisions for ourselves. Furthermore, by training ourselves to connect with our bodies and minds, we notice immediately significant changes in how we feel. Now, in terms of mental health, the research is also strongly in support of the positive impact of mindfulness. Mindfulness meditation is an important element in a number of treatments uh, just for this reason. Treatments for depression, treatments for substance abuse, eating disorders, couples work, anxiety disorders, uh, to name a few. Some believe that mindfulness works in part by helping people to accept their own experiences, especially painful emotions, and to regulate their emotions more effectively. By being in the moment, we're training our brains to notice with attention uh, where we are. And what this does is it allows us to be present instead of getting caught up in unhelpful thoughts that are anxious or increase anxiety or that tend to have us reflect negatively upon the past or getting too ahead of ourselves in terms of the future. Yeah, I'm curious to know if mindfulness and gratitude are similar. Are they connected somehow? Yeah, so mindfulness is certainly uh, connected to gratitude. 
I think that when we're grateful for things, especially when we're holding people that we're grateful for or holding things that we're grateful for in mind, for example, being grateful for our health, we're placing our attention on something that is connected to emotion. And for example, when I think about a loved one that I feel grateful for, I'm able to not only think of an image of that person, but perhaps kind words that they've shared to me. And as I'm being present in focusing my attention on that individual or thing that I'm grateful for, it actually creates those emotions within myself. I threw you for a loop on that one, but I was just like, it's so interesting to me to think about just being present and how that can shape so much of your thinking and just you know, because it's so true. We get caught up in the past, we get caught up in the future and we miss the moments. And so it really does make a lot of sense to me that mindfulness can make these important changes. I'd love to learn more about day-to-day life. I mean, we all have so much going on. We have either we're, you know, got demands of school or college, parenting, Um, You know, whether it's improving our performance at work or or the family, our friends, our our romantic relationships, that we have like to balance all these different kind of multiple roles that we have and all these different relationships. How does mindfulness play into all of that? So in thinking about our day to day, we have many role demands, as you mentioned, school, home life. Um, Even thinking about our work tasks as of late, I know many of the patients that I'm working with are navigating uh, perhaps remote work, trying to also homeschool their children, and subsequently feel very torn, feel like it's hard to be uh, many things to all people, and also that uh, their attention is distracted. So the way that mindfulness can help us in day-to-day is by lessening our emotional reactivity. So again, when we're attuned to our emotions, when we're aware, and in this case, when we're self-aware, when we recognize stress, we can then proactively do something about it. So by taking a pause, say, for example, when we're fixing our children dinner, or let's say that um, you know we're also getting a phone call or having to respond to email um, and feeling an urgency in that, by being... Uh, mindful, we can slow things down and we can actually see options and choice in front of us. This gives us more cognitive flexibility. So meaning that we become less reactive and by being less reactive, we're also able to um, see options and choice in front of us. And there is often an option to take a break. With meditation and by practicing mindfulness, we become less reactive to our circumstance and we're able to respond more intentionally uh, to the moment at hand and decide how we want to um, react or behave. I could absolutely see that because it's sort of you're learning how to kind of regulate or modulate your reaction to something. And I think so much of that, so much of what we do is react. I mean, I know I work on it a lot of just taking a pause and like not having to, you know, react right away. So I really, I I could really see the value in it. So if I've never tried it before, like how can I learn it? And what would it take for me to begin and start using mindfulness? So I, I think there's a couple of um, principles or sort of guiding rules that we could follow that might help one, especially for someone who's new to mindfulness or to mindfulness practices to create a space uh, or cultivate a space that might be more conducive to that. 
So although mindfulness can be practiced anywhere, uh, we can practice mindfulness when we're doing our day-to-day routines, like brushing our teeth and just noticing, you know, the sensations uh, that go along with that. I would say in terms of having a formal practice, I think it's, it helps to start uh, small. And first, just to set aside some time, you know, you don't have to have the perfect cushion or bench, but just creating a space where we can give ourselves permission to have our attention focused on this one thing, especially when this one thing is new. Um, And also as related to that, to just observe the present moment as it is. So again, speaking about attention, uh, when we focus our attention, right? Say for example, if I focus my attention uh, on where my body meets this chair, I can just notice that. And by bringing our attention to the present moment, we're also allowing ourselves to not get caught up in the future or the past. And it's natural when we start a practice as well, to have judgments take us out of the moment. We might even have the judgment, I'm not doing this right, or why is this taking so long? Or I don't feel calm at all. I work with many patients who say when they actually try to slow down or be intentional about something like, say, their breathing, and to do a brief practice in that way, they might even become more anxious. So I think in this case, it's just sort of accepting that mindfulness is deceptively simple, But in practice, it does take time to feel more comfortable. And in some ways, it's very unnatural for us to just have our attention on any one thing. So we have to let judgments roll by. We can give ourselves permission to take a brief amount of time to get into a sort of headspace where we can connect with our own reality as it is. And I do think that being kind to ourselves throughout that process recognizing that the mind wanders and that it's hard to focus attention is inherently a way that may facilitate uh, the ability to be more present with any one thing. I really appreciate how you just kind of went through that because I have found for myself when I try to practice mindfulness, it's really hard for me to sit still and my mind wanders and I've always wondered like, is that normal? Do you have like suggestions of how how to avoid that doing it or what you should do when that happens? Absolutely. You know, it's so natural for the mind to wander. And I, I'll just share a brief clinical anecdote. But when I was doing uh, mindfulness-based groups with college students, you know, it, it would be natural for people to say things like, I can't do this. I'm, I'm too uncomfortable. Or why am I sitting still? How is that going to help me? How is that going to help me to improve? And, you know, it's, again, it's a skill in a sense to hone and to train our attention because our mind is bound to wander. But even in accepting that, by just noticing that our mind wanders and instead of, of course, becoming frustrated about it, understandably, um, just by accepting it, we're able to sort of like, you know, relate to that moment differently. And that's in many ways what the mind does. And so I'll just share another example uh, of a mindfulness. um, Maybe I can pause there. But just to say one of my first, you know, mindfulness-based retreats, which was an intensive retreat, 
um, with Dr. John Kabat-Zinn, who's an internationally known researcher, um, a clinician and expert um, in mindfulness and someone who brought mindfulness into healthcare. Um, I was at this retreat. It, I was pregnant uh, at the time, uh, about two weeks from my due date. And one of the things that I found was that it was very hard, um, just given physical discomfort, to sit still. Now, thankfully, there were breaks between each mindfulness segment, but sometimes our days would start at 6.30 and end at 7.30. One of the things that I appreciated about this mindfulness-based retreat was that we were given the opportunity to practice in different ways. Some meditative practices were about sitting and being with the breath. Some were about just noticing, noticing what is and relating to our own inner experience, being aware and observing different emotions that would arise or sensations. But to also break things up, we were given the opportunity to practice a walking meditation. And I find that when people have a hard time sitting still, it's often useful to change positions um, and to sort of free ourselves from an idea of what mindfulness practice has to be. So by walking and doing a walking meditation, we get a chance to be in our bodies, which allows us to just notice and bring attention to different parts of the body, noticing our feet touch the ground as we walk, noticing how we walk. You know, what's typical for us in terms of our stride? Do we walk very fast? And so again, bringing awareness to that allows us to change the experience of walking. And often it becomes more enjoyable as a result. I just am amazed at how many different ways or places that you can use it. All the things that we do in our day. I mean, I love how you started with driving and then go to walking and just brushing your teeth. The things that we do that, you know, we just don't even think about. Can you tell me like, or give me some examples of people who have learned to use mindfulness and like how it's helped them? So I'm a psychologist by training and many of the therapies that I integrate into my work with patients often involve mindfulness-based elements. So specifically thinking about the ways that mindfulness can help to reduce stress and also to improve food, uh, you know, mindfulness gives us the ability to work with our own emotional experience. And in doing so, we become not only more self-aware, but then recognize the choice in how we cope, how we manage uh, certain situations. And instead of being reactive, we actually get the chance to be proactive. And by pausing, we can think about how we can relate uh, in a different way. And so one of the things that I've noticed is in working with patients, you know, it's natural to feel uh, frustration, um, especially given, you know, with our phones, we're so used to being able to shop online and receive something, you know, receive a package quickly or, you know, get an immediate result, right? Text a friend, they should text us back. So, you know, these these day-to-day -day sort of experiences actually are great opportunities to practice mindfulness. And in doing so, we become less stressed and more intentional about the ways that we uh, connect with other people. And I think when it comes to something like, you know, the treatment of depression or anxiety, of course, it's, it's important to have, uh, you know, different, different types of interventions. And sometimes that's pharmacological. But I think mindfulness can be a very empowering tool that we can teach our patients and, again, integrate into treatment 
in helping them to regain, I think, a, a sense of felt control over their own emotions and behaviors. Fascinating, truly fascinating. I'm ready to dig in. I'm ready to become a mindful of mindfulness. Um, really, honestly, I'm I I truly think that it could help me just be more centered um, and probably manage the stress like you talked about. So there's this world of resources and apps and all of this stuff that's out there. Um, as our last final question, can you tell us a little bit about anything that you recommend, any places, resources, apps? Sure. And I, I should just say, I think that when people are choosing apps or resources um, to help cultivate a mindfulness practice, it's just important to think about what speaks to the person because apps offer different things. Um, some of the ones that um, you know I recommend to patients and that patients also recommend to me are apps like Calm, uh, Insight Timer is another one, and also Headspace. They have different um, capabilities and functionalities, but overall, they're just wonderful ways uh, to be guided through a meditation practice, especially when we're new uh, to, to practicing mindfulness. Three minutes can seem like uh, three days. So I, I think in this sense, it really does help for beginners or someone who wants to cultivate a new practice to start out gradually. And, uh, you know, I should also say that there are certain features on these apps that also teach us about relationships, how to manage stress, how to cultivate, you know, sleep hygiene, and to think more creatively. Um, so again, it depends on the person, but there's wonderful tools out there that are accessible. Um, some of them are at no cost. Uh, some of them are at low cost. But, uh, you know, particularly Headspace is another one that we recommend um, and use often. And sort of like a personal trainer, it offers daily, you know, 10 minute long meditation sessions um, that are really helpful in, um, in cultivating uh, a practice at a time that's convenient for the person. I love it. I love my Calm app. I listen to it. Usually I do the ones to help me fall asleep at night, the sleepy time stories and things, because I do find that I get like, I don't think I've ever finished one. I just, I will, it will doze off. And I've also listened to some of the Peloton ones. I'm a little bit of a Peloton junkie and they have some meditation ones that, um, that sometimes I'll listen to, but this was so, so interesting and so informative. And I appreciate for all of your clients and everybody that you touch that you get to help bring them this kind of healing sense. And, you know, you're giving them a skill that they could use anywhere, right? That they could just um, take care of themselves and just go into their head and sort of de-escalate. So thank you. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed the show, drop us a review. If you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast for the latest episodes. For the latest insights, check us out at psychhub.com.